Metricast. We make sure that the voices that normally are not part of the musical theater development process have the time, space, and resources afforded to them to actually develop the stories that aren't being told. We need to talk about songs. Somebody has to make conversation. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Ost, and welcome to the Friday Community Gathering, Theater Resources Unlimited. We've been meeting every Friday since April 17th, 2020. Started off as a way of giving people an outlet for their frustrations about being in COVID. But the conversations have changed over the past year and a half, and they're getting a little bit less about creating in a shutdown and coping and staying creative and sane during this entire thing we've been living through. We're switching over to more general topics. What we, we perceive as being the likely return of live performance, that doesn't necessarily mean that a lot of us are going to stop doing things virtually. And I'm just going to leave that dangling for a second as I bring Joe and Aaron into the room. Joe Barros of New York Theatre Barn and Aaron Sally of Musical Theatre Factory. So welcome, guys. Welcome to True. So... I'm going to ask each of you to tell us about your companies and what you do. I'm going to let you speak about them. You can probably tell me more stuff than, than I would necessarily know what questions to ask, but I have questions that are going to come up later. And the other thing is we're going to talk about, from your developmental point of view, what makes a musical a musical, other than the fact that people sing. So I think we're going to talk a little bit of structural, and I want to do that because our workshop is so structurally based, and I know there are a lot of other ways of doing this. So there, are, there are a lot of people out there who, who don't necessarily follow structure. And, you know, I don't know, you guys develop so many shows. I want to kind of, I'm interested in hearing an overview of the kinds of things that you bring in and what interests you. Are they conventional musicals? My, my guess is no. My guess is that you guys are not necessarily adherents to convention, conventional musicals. Well, I don't know everything about you guys at all. I just, I just know and admire you. So let's start with you, Aaron, because uh, people have met you, Joe. And uh, Aaron, you're, you're new to us, and I don't think people necessarily know a lot about Musical Theater Factory. So tell us, what is Musical Theater Factory? Fantastic. Great to be here. Musical Theater Factory is a, an organization that is committed to dismantling oppressive ideologies toward collective liberation. We do that by centering artists of excellence who exist in intersections of underrepresented groups. We make sure that the voices that normally are not part of the musical theater development process have the time, space, and resources afforded to them to actually develop the stories that aren't being told. And that doesn't necessarily mean conventional or non-conventional because voices, voices can use any kind of form to, to be heard and to express themselves and to express their culture and their, and their experiences. Joe, give us a little pricey on New York Theatre Barn. Well, first, I also wanted to say I'm, I'm excited to be here alongside Aaron and Musical Theatre Factory because I got to choreograph a, a, the development of a new musical that Aaron was actually an actor in, uh, in one of the first projects I ever worked on at Musical Theatre Factory. So it's really awesome to be here with him. New York Theatre Barn is dedicated to supporting the unique work that goes into developing original culture-shifting musicals. And we recognize that there's no formula for musical theatre development except authenticity. But while we are focused on supporting the incubation of original musicals, we're also focused on the advancement of these shows and their exposure to a global audience. So 
during the pandemic, we created some new programs like our podcast, The Musicals of Tomorrow from Broadway Podcast Network and Theater Barn Records, an imprint of Broadway Records and dedicated to making musical theater development the most accessible that it's ever been both for artists and audiences. And similar to Musical Theater Factory, we define culture shifting stories as stories that are created by artists from underrepresented communities who are also telling stories from underrepresented communities as well. So the question is probably in a lot of people's minds right now is, do you, do you accept musicals from, from, from everybody or, or are you limited really to the, uh, the underrepresented voices? Yeah, I would say, I don't want to speak for MTF, but I would say I, I believe we're both incredibly inclusive about who we support. At least for New York Theatre Barn, we have an open submission policy for our new work series and for our choreography lab. And also those different programs also lead to unique residencies and also a residency process that we're creating this summer for musical theater development on Fire Island. We're gonna be lifting up three new musicals every summer in collaboration with the Fire Island Pines Arts Project called Barn on Fire. All right, so now the question is... Yeah, and Musical Theater Factory does something... Musical Theater Factory actually does a very similar programming in that we have tons of opportunities for folks to come in at all sorts of stages in their development, whether they are just have an idea that they want to come and workshop, and we have, those are our salons, they can present individual songs or moments from a, a work in progress, all the way up to residencies and concerts, which concerts are a very big presentation moment within our partnership with Joe's Pub, or our residencies, which can be one or two weeks of deep development with dramaturgy support that actually can unpack and discover new things about their musicals that are being developed. So by no means are we discriminatory or exclusionary. We invite everybody into the process wherever they are. Well, we're, we're in a delicate period right now, and we're in a, a period where we have to be very aware, very conscious of the, the limit, limitations that are put on so many voices. So a lot of, a lot of people feel like, what about me? You know, what, what about the white Jewish guy who writes? But, but that's a different conversation. What we want to talk about right now is the development process today, because that's where I'm focused. I want to talk about how do people submit to you, which is just kind of a basic thing, but more important, what is it that you look for in shows or the germ of an idea of a show in, in some cases uh, that makes you say, yes, let's do this. Then we'll start with Joe. Joe, you start. Well, honestly, I'm going to set it up and then I'm going to throw it over to Aaron, actually, because I think that it's really, Bob, it's about relationships and it's about the community that you create and that and the spaces that you invent because they're that easy. And I think somebody sort of set it up here in the chat. David said Musical Theater Factory has roundtables for artists and people who are gender nonconforming, people of color and women roundtables. So while we get to do some exciting roundtables at New York Theater Barn, I just wanted to throw it over to Aaron to talk about that because I think it, it relates to what Bob's asking here about what we're looking for because it comes from the conversation that happens at, at a table, like a round table. Yeah, thank you, Joe. So MTF doesn't have a formal submission process. And to Joe's point, our curation comes from the community itself. We have the round tables, which people are giving a lot of shout outs in the chat. Thank you so much for those. But the round tables are our main source of finding work to support. 
Those round tables are safe spaces that are identity-based, people of either being women, transgender non-conforming, or identify as person of color, have these safe spaces where the gaze is not present and they can actually focus on their work. And from those, those safe spaces, we have our dramaturgical dramaturgical support that is in the room and paying attention to what's happening and thinking about how we can give opportunities to folks, whether it's going to move into the four by 15 programs or into a, a longer residency. We have recently started the MTF Makers program, which is submission-based, but it's not focused on a specific piece of work that is being developed or even a larger body of work. It's focused on developing the artists themselves, which is, a, I think, a unique perspective that MTF brings into the community and really thinking about how the access to resources that have either been inequitably distributed in the past or are primarily afforded to folks who already have a lot of abundance and trying to level those playing fields in the development process. Joe, back to you. Do you, do you have any anything that you want to add in terms of, again, my question is, it's, it's a simple one. And the answer seems to be that you're more interested in in people being part of your community. And, and if they're part of your community, they're more than likely welcome to be presenting something. How do you help them take the steps if they have an idea for a musical? And they don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. So we have a submission process, New York Theatre Barn, for our New Work series, which presents pre-premieres of original musicals in development, and also our choreography lab, which is the only platform that I know of where writers and, and choreographers can collaborate on movement for new musicals during incubation. And from there, a project moves around to our different programs and we create new programs for them. So for instance, we're currently developing Jesse Sanchez's Sueños Are American Musical. We've been developing it for two years. Been in our choreography lab, our virtual choreography, uh, sorry, our virtual Newark series, our live Newark series, our virtual choreography lab, and we created a new platform for it. So it's a musical that excited us because we'd never heard one like it. It tells the untold story of three generations of a Mexican-American family in their pursuit of the American dream. And it has a predominantly Latinx cast and is being developed with Afro-Latina director-choreographer Maria Torres. And what we got to do is chronicle the development of Sueños over two years in a documentary that's available on our YouTube channel called Inside the Incubation. And if you want, I could actually show you a two minute excerpt of it right now. So you can see exactly how this relationship evolved because we were just so excited about this artist's work and we had never seen a story like this on the stage. Um, you definitely show us your excerpt, but I have a question. You said you, said you created a new platform for, for this. What, what did you mean by so, that? So because, like I said, we have, our, we have our Newark series, our choreography lab, and then unique residency opportunities where we do workshops, readings, or whatever the show sort of needs. We created Inside the Incubation, which was this, this virtual program where we got to go inside the, the blueprint of original musical. But, and the pandemic gave us that opportunity because we never would have filmed it otherwise. But also other writers are telling us, you know, if we can release four tracks to a global audience, we can, we can actually harness funders and the writers can start making money before their show is even produced. So things like the podcast, Theater Barn Records, investing $100,000 or $20,000 into an album instead of a developmental production that maybe nobody's gonna see. Like I said, there's no formula for musical theater ex except authenticity. And I know that sounds like really flowery, but 
we really mean it. Every show is totally different. And while we create these systems, we have to adapt new ones to serve the process of each of each team, really. So the, the, one of the things that, that we're concerned with when we're helping people, because we, we also have a musicals reading series and we, and we have workshops that are supposed to be helping people understand the structure of, of, of writing and, and understanding what goes into a musical that, that makes it communicate well to an audience. We always want to find out what the writer's goal is. We want to find out who, who they think their audience is. Who are they writing this for? Do you ever talk to them about that? Do you ever talk about who, who is this for? Because obviously not everything that's going to come through you is necessarily meant for commercial production on Broadway. Or does, or does everybody that come through you, is that their secret desire? I, from MTF's perspective, I don't think that that is the majority of folks' secret desire. I think that... That's what I would think, yeah. I think that a lot of folks come to us because they have something to say. And I think that that's a different ending goal than necessarily wanting to be in commercial production. We do have those that do come through us and do want to eventually get to that commercial stage. As Arcade Green has already mentioned, Bo came through Musical Theater Factory on several different levels. Even a Strange Loop came through the factory. But I don't think that certain artists necessarily have that as their end goal as the Great White Way being the terminal place that they want their show to work. We have a lot of artists that come through that have completely new musical structures that do not follow the conventions and really challenge what the definition of a musical is in the Western context to begin with. And I think that that's something that's really important to bring into this discussion that the musical does not have to necessarily mean that people are singing either. We have a piece that's in work right now that is mostly dance focused with a lot of uh, African percussion that is not does not have any sort of singing pieces. It has spoken word and a lot of movement, but that is still considered musical theater by our definition of what we develop here at the factory. So in, a, in other words, just to simplify it, you both, I think you both, but definitely you, Aaron, are, are dealing with shows that don't necessarily have a conventional narrative storytelling can happen in other ways other, other than through scenes. They can happen just through dance. They can happen just through, through that song. That's 100% correct. But okay. I think like, but Bob, I think like you said, part of their mission is dismantling oppressive ideologies. So part of that is dismantling structure in musical theater as we know it. I think, and I think that you're doing it in a really brilliant way and a strange loop which Musical Theatre Factory developed, breaks all the rules, but also salutes the legacy of musical theatre and what it stands for and turns it on its head. And again, comes back to what you said about people come to you because something they, they want to say. Okay, so you were going to show us a, a, an excerpt and I, I interrupted you on that. I, I have other things I want to come back to, but, but for sure, let's, let's, let's do your, share, your screen share. Sure, I'd love to. So this is just a small excerpt, uh, excerpt of Inside the Incubation of Sueños, Our American Musical. In celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, New York Theatre Barn hosted a residency of Sueños, Our American Musical, an original musical by Mexican-American writer Jesse J. Sanchez. Sueños tells the untold story of three generations of a Mexican-American family and their pursuit of the American dream. The residency created a safe and supportive space for Sueños to grow and evolve authentically. 
This original musical celebrates Latinx people and cultures and weaves our stories into the fabric of the American musical theater. Featuring a predominantly Latinx cast, there has never been a musical like this until now. The company paired Broadway film and TV director choreographer Maria Torres with the show in a week-long residency produced in partnership with Kirstead Productions, Broadway United, Straighten Your Crown Productions, and Full Out Creative. New York Theatre Barn brought me on board to deliver some authentic sabor Latino. Having worked on Broadway and in the entertainment business for several decades, I've seen a lot, but unfortunately, we don't see nearly as many Latino stories being told on Broadway, which is why I couldn't believe the support I was given by the New York Theatre Barn. I was handed an already beautiful piece with Broadway potential, a Latino associate, music director, and a cast. And when I wanted to explore more, New York Theatre Barn supported me and my vision, allowing the process to include a Latin percussionist and the freedom to be us, to create in space freely and authentically. The support of the New York Theatre Barn means investment in the process. Even with a small staff, they can deliver outstanding, high-quality work. New York Theatre Barn is at the forefront of incubating original, culture-shifting works. If you believe as we do that stories shape the way we see ourselves and the world around us, we hope that you'll join us in our mission of incubating culture-shifting musicals. New York Theatre Barn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your gifts are tax-deductible. All right, so I ended it early because I'm not asking you for money. But anyway, I just wanted to show you that. <laughs> well, if you hadn't done it, I was going to say say to people that you know you, you can you can support these these both of these companies, and true, you can support us too. The thing, one of the things that interests me about what all of us are going through is uh, whether our process or what we've done and the way we've done it has changed because of COVID. Joe, you did used to pre- present your work live, but you you moved right into you pivoted right to to virtual when when uh, we had shut down, didn't you? Or, or were you already were you already using virtual? No, we pivoted, and it was our first time doing it. And now we're back to a, a, a intimate live hybrid where we will like on Monday we'll do our new work series live to an audience about sixty people, and we'll also live stream it. Actually, during the pandemic, we were able to present virtually ninety six original musicals, one hundred and eighty one writers, and support eight hundred artists. So that just makes me wonder who didn't you who, did, who didn't you support? That sounds like it's got to be the entire company there. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of shows. There's a lot of people, but you'd be surprised. There's you've, there's so many more. Wow. And, um, and there's space. And I think one of the points that both of us, both of our, our our companies are making is that there's space for everybody, and there are stories that everybody wants to see. So for both of you, can you break down? methodically the different types of development you do with people what you it sounds like you do some conceptual work sometimes uh, help them guide them in terms of translating their idea into something that is actually physicalized it's it sounds like you do concerts readings what's the top level of it do you do do you do a production ever of anything Or, or do you do a concert production what do you do So Musical Theater Factory actually developed a whole method, which we call the assembly line. And how that works is... Like that. (laughs) Play on words, right? So uh, how that works is folks come in to 
a salon or into one of our all access spaces and really get to be immersed in the community and build that sense of community, which actually helps foster trust along the rest of the process. From there, they're able to move into four by 15s, which are 15 minute segments of four different shows all pushed together into one amazing hour which has a panel with industry professionals and dramaturgs who are able to give in-the-room feedback on the process that we have just partaken in. I have a question about that immediately. So they're, sure. they're show, they're, they're, you're doing four 15-minute excerpts in, in an evening, and you have a panel. Uh, does the panel Is the panel given context? Does the panel know what, where this 15 minutes fits into the overall show? And are these shows that are they're completed, they're, uh, completed draft or, or just in progress? All of them so, love. Fantastic questions. Sometimes the panel is informed immediately before the 15-minute presentation of what they're about to see to get a little context. Sometimes the creators don't want any sort of context at all, so they have a fresh look with clear eyes as to what is being presented. On the back end of that, there is going to be the feedback of only the 15 minutes that is presented, and there are more often times questions left than answers of, well, what is this character's arc going in and coming out? What eventually happens? What is causing all of this to, to happen that we just saw? And those questions, I think, are the deeper analytical questions that usually don't get asked until it's much later in the development process, which answers your second question. Some of these shows are only developed for the 15 minutes that were presented and they're figuring out the rest of it. Some of them have been in development for seven years and are getting a moment to workshop a 15 minute segment, either being on its feet for the first time with a cast of actors or workshopping movement along with a, music, a musical segment that is being developed. So it really depends on the needs of the artist and where they are in their individual process. Joe, how about you? Can you break it down into, into the different different ways that you that you help people develop the work? Different sure, levels, can, different steps. Yeah, yeah. And I gave you a little example with Sueños and how we worked through the different programs. So we have our new work series, which is now in its 15th season. It's award-winning through a grant through NAMT. And we present pre-premieres of original musicals to a live and virtual audience. Um, it's we we get to speak in community with two writing teams. We get to we get to present excerpts of those shows. And there's a live and global audience. We also have our choreography lab where choreographers and writers collaborate for, on movement for original musicals in development during the incubation process. And we also have a unique residency process where we it ends in a workshop or a writer's work, se work session or a reading or a developmental production. And we have produced a developmental production for $20,000 and as high as $150,000. And we also produced an all-female musical about the Jewish wife of Wyatt Earp and the women of the American West at 59 East 59th Street Theaters with Prospect Theater Company on a, on a budget around $200,000 a few years ago. And then our newest programs are a podcast with Broadway Podcast Network called The Musicals of Tomorrow, which takes the audio and re-edits -edit, it from our virtual Newark series, which was a subsequent result of the pandemic. And then we also now have Theater Barn Records where we're releasing concept albums of original musicals. This past year, we released Seasons, a new musical song cycle, and Freedom Riders, the civil rights musical, both with Broadway Records. We're an imprint of them. And then this summer we'll launch a residency for original musicals in development on Fire Island. 
in collaboration with the Fire Island Pines Arts Project that will support three original musicals at the beach during incubation and will create an opportunity for these shows and their writers to be introduced to producers, artistic directors, theater colleagues, benefactors, and Pines residents. So my question to both of you becomes, who decides what aspect of all of this very rich programming you do uh, is right for them uh, at this particular moment that they approach you? Do they come to you and say, I've got a dance musical, I need, I need to see what the choreography is like? Or do, do people come to you with other shows and you say, you know, this show could benefit from dance and why don't, why don't we do this in our choreography lab? How do these things all happen? I know it's all relationships. I know it's all being part of the community. I know it's probably random conversations, but is there some underlying logic that drives it all? I think it goes back to it depends. So <laughs> in the case of like Bo, Bo came to us and, and said, hey, we have a, a new opportunity that we want to go and workshop. Can we set up a time to do that? And so we were able to facilitate that. It's a much different stage. Sometimes we'll have our makers who are more early on in their development process and we'll be like, you know what? We think it's time for you to actually stand up 15 minutes of the work that you've been working on. So why don't we set you up in the next round of four by 15 to go and actually see this on its feet? So there is a, it depends on where the artist is in the pipeline, along with how our artistic associates think that their work is, is developing and where they think there's opportunity for growth. And ultimately, it is going to be the artist's decision to move into any certain line of programming. We make sure that the artists are always centered in the decision-making and that they always have the agency over their own craft. So I think that that is something that is also really important in the conversation that we do We do not function as gatekeepers. We function as support systems for all of these artists that are coming through the factory. Well, in a sense, you're, you're suggesting that there's the possibility of some, some form of mentorship going on as well. There are your artistic, and how many artistic associates do you have who can, who can mentor? Because there's a lot, you guys, I mean, I'm really awestruck by you guys. You guys are dealing with so many, so many artists, it, it seems overwhelming. But so you must have a structure in place that helps you to navigate all this and make it happen effectively for everybody. Yes, historically, we've been working with Beehive Drama Studio and specifically Natasha Sinha, Molly Marinick. They have been the core people who have been part of the artistic community under the leadership of the artistic director. We have just moved to a new artistic director. Our previous one, Mayan, has moved on to OSF, and we are so happy that they are over there to continue championing the work coming out of the factory. But our new artistic director, who has not made it into the press yet, so I'm not going to get ahead of our press cycle, but she is as equally dope as Mayan was, and we're really excited on how she is going to transform the factory further. And just as a tease to everybody, she's going to be a guest probably in March or April. So there. <laughs> but I can't tell you what, who she is or what we're going to talk about. <laughs> the same question goes to Joe. Yeah. So the first thing Aaron said was, it depends. And it's, and it's yeah. true. You know, I think it starts with us thinking about how exciting it would be to support this vision, uh, something we haven't ever seen before, and how it can, this dream, this story can actually change the world. I think that's really, it's really about excitement and making sure that our team also reflects the cultural support of all of the storytellers, that our team actually can come into a room and the people that we're bringing on board can actually see that they are represented. 
So that's that's been a big part of our pandemic, making sure that there's people that look like the stories we're telling, both on our board and our staff. I also want to say that Jane Dubin, who's here, who's a producer, she had a relationship with Jen Sandler, who's our associate artistic director. And that's how we started talking to her about her show called The Village of Vale, which somebody just put a link in the chat about. Uh, it's an extraordinary piece. And it's amazing what Jane is doing sort of outside of the box with this piece. So that's why I'm excited about that. And also because this is a woman producer who's telling a story that is also really inventive and inspiring and outside of the box. Also, Nico Juber, who's here, I knew nothing about Nico until an incredible actor named Diana Huey told me about her. And we had to work on her musical, which is called Millennials Are Killing Musicals, which is actually a working title, so I hear, and is evolving to something else. So we got to meet Nico, support Nico's show, and just been following all the other things that Nico's done, including an award that she won through NAMPT for writing a short musical about the pandemic, and just being really excited about her, her work, and how she's making space for women in her stories. Millennials, you know, is an intergenerational story that has women at its center, and we don't see that a lot. So naturally, my team is really excited about that. I understand that your process is an informal one, and it's kind of, it's an organic one, but nevertheless, there must be some sort of nuts and bolts for things. So Glenn Bordis was asking something that is similar to what I wanted to ask. I mean, basically, we're saying, do you always develop from a script, or do you work with fully realized ideas? At some point, doesn't somebody have to, like, give you something and say, this is the show, or they just sit and talk to you about it? I think and, all- And if they, don't, if they don't have anything on paper, then how are they going to present it? All of these programs, nope. it just really depends, it depends on the relationship, right, Aaron? And I think, Bob, I think the only thing that's constant, the only thing that is exactly. that I, is a structure is money. If the, there is money, we can do almost anything, but there's so much we can do also without money. And we have to understand that. And what we often tell ourselves, especially in our grant language, which we find successful, is limitation is creation. Sometimes when you're forced to make something with nothing, it's almost better. But the one thing that is constant is if the money is there, we can do the thing with no issue. I'm going to challenge that thought even a little bit more too. Sometimes the money isn't there and we know the money is not there, but we have such confidence in the concept that has been pitched to us that we are able to then go and write complete narrative around that individual to go and get the money that is going to then allow the resources to come in and actually start the development of the process. So guys, what I think I'm trying to do from the, the writer's perspective, I'm trying to find out what the tools are that we need as writers so that we could be part of what you do. So you said one word that's a good word. You said pitch. You need to be able to talk about your musical in a way that inspires and excites you guys. You're, you're saying that we don't need to have nuts and bolts like, like a script or, or music. All, all we need to start with is an idea. Although there must be some pieces out of 93 that you're producing at any given moment. There must be some things that come to you with scripts and full full drafts and beginnings, middles, and ends. Let's talk about what other things can structure a show. Well, if, you're, if you're looking for non-traditional, you're not interested in necessarily conventionally structured shows, what do you look for? I think the canvas is open. And I think even to sort of answer that question, and New York Theatre Barn does not measure success by ticket sales. We do not measure success by how big the project is. So it's like, we're not the roundabout. We're not investing all of our eggs into a production. And so... 
yes, it's always as great if we get a full script, but that script is obviously going to be torn apart because we're a house that is about the incubation and is about having the space to do whatever that writer needs to do. And honestly, a while ago, we were talking the fact that you guys are not looking for necessarily conventional musicals. Like, we understand that. And, I, and I'm, I'm embracing your idea that you, that, you don't, that you don't necessarily need scripts. I'm just trying to, if I'm somebody, a writer in the room, listening to you and talking, hearing this conversation, we want to know, again, like I said, what the, what the tools are. So a pitch is the basic tool. It seems like just having an idea that you can express coherently to another human being is the starting point for you guys. I and think, the reason, and I the reason think you're going to put time and energy into it is because we have a relationship. Uh, you, we know each other and you, you just want to help me or you want to help the, the writer, whoever it is. I think that is the key, is that you don't necessarily have to have the pitch of a specific body of work, but you need to tell me what makes your heart sing. Why should we want to see you shine? Why, what makes you get up and write every single day? That's the stuff that MTF looks ultimately ends up looking for in who becomes a maker. The whole makers program, there have been shows that have been fully thought out and were pitched as part of their package to come and apply into the makers program. There have also been artists who have come through who have had nothing written. They might have had a log line, but it was a very loose idea of what it was that they're trying to, to pitch, but they ended up pitching their artistic practice. And that was something that MTF was like, yes, we want to foster that. We want to see the development of your practice more so than the specific piece of work, because we know that more work will be behind it if you have a solid practice. Do all of the shows that are pitched to you or discussed with you or all of the writers that come to you and, and have their passion clearly just radiating from them and you know that they have to do this do, do all of these shows happen or do some of them learn things along the way that where they go well maybe i need to take a different approach to this i, I know we're talking about so many different relationships and so different so many, so many different examples it's hard to really narrow it down but just give us a few ideas of if i want to be part of your company what is it that i need to show you I and mean, you said that already but i guess i guess i'm asking a different question i'm asking whether the people who come to you with ideas, are you successful in always getting them to develop something into a full show or does that not matter? I don't think, I don't think it matters. And I think I want to remind us that what we're saying is our home, our communities are inclusive. They're not exclusive, even though they sound different. The door is sort of always open for anyone, really. It's about supporting each person in the way that they need it. And with the show Sueños, like I, I gave, I'm, I'm going to give an example again. It was... I had never seen anything like this. I didn't know this writer. And I thought, let's let's just try this in our new work series. This is a perfect, perfect platform for it. And someone might say, like, oh, we're auditioning each other, but that's not that's not the pressure we put on each other. It went really well. It was exciting. We had a global pandemic. I was able to showcase it again. We were able to raise some funds because the funds became available through NAMT. We were able to introduce Maria Torres to the writer because she had a relationship with Hector Flores Jr., who was on our team and was editing all of our stuff, and he recommended her. She elevated the piece. We were able to find even more money, even more resources, and then create this workshop using a lot of her contacts and, and the writers. And so it was sort of, I know this is going to sound silly, but sort of like an if you build it, they will come. You get everybody to believe 
it happens. And I'm just going to piggyback on that. Like part of MTF's ethos is that we develop new works in a community that in an atmosphere that is free from pressures of critical or financial success. That is not a measure that we use to judge what works come into our factory. That is not an expectation of the works that come through the factory. They're, they may turn into something successful and that is going to be a multi-million dollar Broadway musical, they might do exactly the thing that somebody came into the factory and wanted to do. And to tie in one of the other questions that I saw in the chat about the evolution of the musical theater and storytelling style and structure. It's exactly what I was reading. Aaron, that's exactly the question I was about to bring up when you said this. So that's actually something that has informed the development of certain pieces that have come into the factory and completely have changed the way somebody is approaching their narrative. We have an XR programming, which combines virtual and augmented realities for new musical development. And when people get into a headset, their minds completely expand in the possibilities of how their story can either be developed or be executed, which then changes the process to begin with. So to say that a piece comes in and then doesn't ever evolve into the final thing that they initially thought, I think that that's actually a success metric for MTF because that means that the critical process of critiquing your work, of taking the dramaturgical support and the community support has actually transformed your work into something else. Well, there's a lot of sensitive questions in the chat. I want to get to them too, but uh, I do want to ask, as people that, that are running these two companies that help the development of new works, are there any basics in writing that you think are important or crucial so that when people are writing, they have something that they know that they need to do. What are the points they need to hit in order to create something that's successful? We traditionally talk about a character who's an engine, who, who really drives everything, a central character that the audience can relate and wants something and is trying to, to achieve something. Does any of that happen? Do you look for that at all or you, you just don't care? I think it's, I don't know, I don't, I don't even think of those things because I think that if there isn't some sort of structure or some sort of burning story underneath, then, I mean, obviously we won't be excited about it. But I think some writers just don't get it. They're not invested in process. And I think New York Theatre Barn is invested in the process. And some writers are just not. And I can tell that immediately. Or I can tell that they don't want to do the work. So I'm looking for somebody who's invested in the process because New York Theatre Barn is focused on the investment of the process. And what do you mean by invested in the process? Be a little bit more specific. Someone, someone who wants to do the work, wants to spend the time, wants to tear this piece apart and turn it upside down and try it all kinds of different ways and explore an outside of the box trajectory for their show. And how do you determine whether they've been successful? How do you that's, determine you know, that's, a, that's a great question. So for instance, I could stand up here and say, hey, our new work series is not focused on how many tickets we sell. We're going to lose all of our money. We're going to present two musicals. Well, our last one was uh, in November of 2021. Both shows found multiple producers who were interested in them. One of the shows is the reason we created Barn on Fire. It's for this extraordinary emerging writer named Jariah Kwame, whose song Little Miss Perfect has gone viral and is writing a musical called Little Miss Perfect with Lauren M. Gunderson and a show called How to You, a musical guide to Black boyhood. The other show was called The Mixed Up Files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, based on a famous book 
And the writers immediately drew the attention of TheaterWorks USA and also other commercial producers. So this small little event that costs us everything opens doors for writers. So I would say it's an incredible success. One of those writers actually got an option deal, and these two pieces are now on the internet. Anybody can look at them from all. But of that the kind world. of that kind of drifts away from what, what my question. Was, but the question is: You said that there's that you want somebody who's invested in the process. So that means yeah. that they're invested in rewriting and reworking and, and working on this and being part of your community. But how do they know what they need to do? So the writers that I just mentioned have been part of multiple programs that we've done. Have been part of multiple conversations. That that's what I mean, that there's a relationship, that there's a nuanced trajectory for each of their shows and their ideas, that they are people who I want to invest in introducing them to other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's still a little, a little vague to me. I mean, if I were a writer coming to you, I still wouldn't know exactly what I was supposed to do. Well, what's interesting is the first thing I would do as a writer is I wouldn't tell you all the things that I could offer you. I'd ask you what it is that your show needs right now then I would be able to identify how we could support it or how we would have to invent a program for you down the line to support that work. And I know it sounds like 100 years that I'm saying, but it could be five months, it could be two years. But while we're focused on that Sueños needs a process, I'm not focused on the seven things that could happen after this one thing that I'm focused on right now. I'm, I'm, I'm living in the moment with these writers but also cognizant of the fact that it needs tending if it's going to go out into the world and have the impact that the writer truly, truly is seeking. Okay. Same um, thing for I'm MTF. We are focused on developing their process and we do the same thing, a needs assessment with anybody who comes in. What are your needs in order to get to the next stage that you want for your piece? That's how we found everything. Jay, there's lots of questions in there. Can you just ask the questions to the panel? All right, so Eric Rothman asks for both speakers, again, if this wasn't answered, what, what are the economics of your projects? What are the economics of your graduates? What is bigger, the number of plays that graduate or the potential audience for them all? Are you involved in the matching of finishing plays with the right audience? Sure. So our, our budget is under $100,000, but when we produce a production for $150,000, it's sort of a unique gift that we get. We can produce projects for as little as $100 to $150,000, like I said, but our, our general programs are incredibly modest, and we've had a lot of growth in the last few years. Me and the staff have been all volunteer until last year. I would receive small stipends for, for projects that I would do over the past 15 years over my leadership. And now I get a small monthly stipend, but it's still incredibly modest. I wouldn't even say it's part-time work. We really, you know, we, we, we love this so much that we've really dedicated our lives to it. I, I, know, I know that. I'm, I'm there too. So we got Gregory Necrosavis says, question may have been asked or alluded to, do your companies take part in future productions of the work that have come through your doors? In other words, what is the agreement, if any, between the writer and you when, when you actually spend money and present their work? Is there any kind of agreement? Yeah, MTF does not ask for anything other than a line in a future program that might say developed at, in a partnership or at Musical Theater Factory. That's it. We do not ask for royalties, rights, points future participation, first rights of refusal. We don't ask for any of that stuff because we believe that it puts 
unnecessary limitations and burdens on the creative team before they, they even have a chance to find out what it is that they are creating. That also goes for any assets that Musical Theater Factory creates on their behalf. So we film things. Our Maker series actually has all promo videos that pitches their art practice. The artists are actually the ones who retain all of those rights and Musical Theater Factory licenses it from the artists, even though we're the ones who paid to create the thing in the first place. That all goes back to making sure that the artist has the agency over their own practice at all points in time, and that we're really dismantling the cost prohibitive and kind of exploitive, exploitative ways that the industry has worked in the past. So the obvious money that's, that keeps you running is our donations. So you must depend on a donor base, and you must also get funding from who maybe government or, or, or private foundations. So that's where the, that's where the money comes from, right? Uh, and and, and Dane is reminding everybody that we're we're both five hundred one c three nonprofits, and that you know we write grants and we have government funding and private donations. But I just wanted to say most most of our general programming, we just ask for a small credit that says the program was developed in this program. But I will say if we are raising over fifty thousand dollars for a project and it has some sort of substantial run. We will have a small percentage in that going forward, and it's like an embarrassing modest percentage, but it is to say that the artist and the organization are committed to each other and support the work that each other does. And also, we do have percentages of the concept albums that we are developing. But again, we're supporting each other. So while the show is in development, the show is now going to have a global audience through the exposure of this album, and then ultimately by the success of this album through the work that we do collectively, money does also come back into the organization, to the organization only because we're a 501c3 nonprofit and it goes to support other musicals like this. So it's a little bit different than what Musical Theater Factory does, but we we do some different things. Also, somebody just sent me a private message about sort of the trajectory. They said, if their show had all of these things that have already happened, could they sort of skip stages and could their piece be, could their piece have an album and could we support an album? Sure, that can happen. It's happened before. Anything like that is possible because every show is different. And if you've done the work and your show is ready for that, we'll be able to identify that together and, you know, hopefully work together. So I think a lot of people want to know what the step is that they need to take in order to start becoming part of your organization. I would say the first step is go to their websites, because I'm sure there's information on the websites about that. Another step you can take probably is to email Aaron or Joe. If they've provided their emails, you can say, I'm a writer, I want to be part of you. And they can just email back and say, come to this thing that we're doing tomorrow night and get to see what we do and, and, he, and learn who we are. I think that's that's kind of the process as I understand it. Am I missing anything? Yeah, that's definitely it. Okay. It's not really mysterious. Neither of these companies keeps their mission or their work mysterious or hidden. It's all there for you to actually look at and and actually see if it's part of an aesthetic and a culture and and an environment that you want to be a part of. Uh, Jane is asking, how do you support the production of a concept album? Can I just jump in with that really briefly? Sure. In the case of Seasons, what we did is we... It was a show that came to us from Broadway Records. We put a small investment in it, approximately like $3,000. And we get some points. We get to support the show. We then did a concert of the show while we were getting the concept album ready. We did a presentation at 54 Below. And we're helping to get the show licensed now, maybe with even without a production because of that presentation. 
We are going to release a project called the New Musicals Mixtape every year, which will have five to six different musicals. In fact, a few of them have been developed through Musical Theater Factory, I can say that, which is really awesome. And so we will fund that entire project, which is about $25,000, because it's a lot of work. It's like six different musicals, but we will curate the entire thing. It's sort of like we take old demos or we master demos or we re-record songs to support that. And then on a grander level, we can support an entire album, four tracks for $25,000 or an entire album for about 50. And we're currently working with Nicole LaFontaine from Straighten Your Crown Productions on a new musical, which was called Call It Love. And I'm forgetting the name now, but it's written by Chalina Kennedy. So funds for like that album are coming from two different producing sources. And then through our imprint that we have set up with Broadway Records, we can then say, okay, we and Broadway Records want to support this project. And what's exciting is then that show is also going to be in our new work series in April. So one of those projects worked backwards through our trajectory. One of them worked forward. There are a lot of different ways to make it possible. So a couple questions come up about, about what you were just saying. Michael DeCatano says, I'm thinking of doing a concert of my musical Rewind at 54 Below. Is that something that one of your companies might support? I think it really depends, but we have, New York Theatre Barn has projects that are planned for the next year. So I don't, I don't know that we're not always able to help a project or an artist immediately. For Musical Theatre Factory, it would really, we don't have a relationship with that performance venue with 54 Below, but we can definitely talk about how we can support with the other aspects that go into producing a concert. So my email is now in the chat. Go ahead and email me and we'll talk. Tamara and Christopher, you said that the process is five months to two years. Strange Loop took 10 years to get to Broadway. What was the rest of its journey after your workshop? Do you know that? Well, we've had more than just one workshop of A Strange Loop. A Strange Loop started back when Musical Theater Factory was in a porn studio, 40th Street, and was in the writers groups. Over the years, it's had, I think, four, five different residencies at Musical Theater Factory, some of them a week long, some of them two or three weeks long, depending on if it had enhancement money and has had two different concerts through its life just with the factory. It's had a lot of other development processes that have happened outside of the factory that has gotten it to where it eventually went to Playwrights Horizons and now it's headed to Broadway. So it's been a very long process. And I think that that has been the norm for the works that we see coming through the factory. I think two years is a pretty fast process in my opinion for development of a brand new musical. The average show takes about eight years to get to production. Hey, Bob, so, I also wanted to—I also wanted to say that uh, you know another way that New York Theatre Barn can support almost any artist immediately is through fiscal sponsorship. For instance, if if a writer wants to collect donations through a foundation or through grants or just private donations, you know they can be donated to our company and then redistributed to the artist to support them in a way that their donors can reap the benefits of a tax write-off. I had no idea that you did fiscal sponsorship. We, we do also. Do you, MTF does it as well. Okay. Yeah, we do. So a logical place to, to go for sponsorship of a, of a new musical. Um, it's, a, it's not 642, guys. I think there are more questions, but I'd like to wrap up one, uh, if you guys don't mind. I just want to say thank you for being with us. We're not necessarily leaving because there's so many questions that I'm not sure whether people are going to let you go. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Aaron. It's wonderful meeting you. 
I'm very proud of the fact that we had the good sense to honor Shakina uh, in 2016. Did she ever show you the award that we gave her? I'm a big fan of Shakina. I'm a big fan of uh, Musical Theater Factory and I'm a big fan of Joe and, and, and uh, New York Theater Barn. I'm happy to have you with us now and as many times as you guys want to come back. There's lots of stuff we can always talk about when we're talking about developing new musicals. Next week, we're actually going to have uh, a second part of this discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about opportunities uh, for production uh, because uh, we have Tim Jerome coming from Main Street Musicals, uh, which tries to connect people with regional theaters around the country to get productions done. And also uh, National uh, NMI, John Sparks, which has all sorts of pro programs, including one that connects artists with the Asian market with with musical developers in, in I think it's a, it's Beijing, China. Um, so it, I might be wrong about the city, but it's it's China. So I hope you'll come back next week. I hope to see everybody next week. People in the room, uh, we're here for you. We're still here for you. It started off as this was just a COVID thing, and now that we're coming out of COVID, we're not going to stop doing this. It seems like there's too many people that want to come and be together in a room on Friday at five o'clock. So we'll keep opening this room and, and bringing in guests so that we can share information and support you guys and hopefully inspire you. So we do it for free. We do it for pay what you can. Sometimes pay what you can means free. If you can actually manage it, we would love to have donations to keep us running. So you can go to truedonate.com, T-R-U-Donate.com, and donate uh, to us uh, to keep us going. And uh, remember to consider donating to Musical Theater Factory and New York Theater Barn as well. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about something. We need to talk about anything at all. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid.